0: Hi, I'm Dr. John Newfeld, and you're watching Truth and Life today. You know, today I'm carrying on a conversation that we began last week, and it's the conversation about abortion. It's such an important conversation. It needs to be had, and we're talking about the value of human life. So stay tuned. <laughs> What if we never asked the question and simply chose to look the other way? Genesis chapter 1 begins, that is, our Bible begins with the words, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But as we all know, the Bible is not about the far-flung stars in the galaxy. It's about earth, and it's not just about earth. It's about human beings. Because of all of the things that God made, only human beings received these words, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That is, to be human is to be uniquely created in the image of God. God says nothing of the kind of any other thing, even living thing, that he creates. You know, I love to put it this way. I mean, you know, if you shoot your neighbor's dog well, you know, you're probably going to make it into the paper and there are going to be, you know, crimes assessed to you. But if you shoot your neighbor's daughter, well, suddenly the world stops. We recognize that something unspeakably evil has just been done. That's because we all know that the value of human life so far exceeds everything else. So when we talk about abortion and the ending of human life in the womb, we need to assess a matter of value. Does the thing that we do mean something? And behind that question is a much more pronounced question. It is this, what is the value of human life? What does it mean to be in the image of God? What does it mean to be human? Are we simply to think of ourselves as you know, the product of random chance, which has no inherent meaning and therefore no inherent value? Or do we say that we are the special project of God? And if we are, what does that mean in relationship to how we treat other human beings? Is life itself a mandate for human beings? Should we cling to life or should we easily throw human life away? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so we're joined by Stephanie Gray. Stephanie Gray is the president of a Vancouver-based organization called Love Unleashes Life. She's an international pro-life speaker, and she's also also the author of numerous books. So it's a delight to have Stephanie Gray in studio as we talk about the value of human life. How precious is human life. Clearly, we need to talk. Stephanie Gray, it's a delight to have you in studio. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. And uh, and I know that it's explosive in, 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 in some circles. Mm. But I think we're looking for a thoughtful, reasoned conversation about the value of human life. Mm. Now, you've been involved in pro-life organizations for a lot of years.
1: Yes, yes. In some sense, I often say my whole life because my parents were involved in Uh pro-life activities. So as a young child, I was going to conferences and marches. Uh, My mom volunteered at a pregnancy care center. So I would often accompany her when she went to the hospital to see clients when they had just given birth. And then when I graduated from university, I went into full-time pro-life work, which I've been doing since then.
0: Yes. And it's a delight to have you here because we want to talk about a number of things, Uh, So why don't we start with with this issue. Why is the question of abortion so explosive in this country, in the Western world? Mm. What makes it such a powder keg when we talk about it?
1: I think for two reasons, because the truth is written on our hearts and we humans know instinctively that it violates the nature of what it means to be human. It violates the nature of what it means to be a mother to be involved with abortion. So we know instinctively it's wrong. But because so many people have had abortions, millions upon millions in our country since it has become legal in Canada, uh, over 50 million abortions in the United States since it became legal there, that so many people have had abortions that it's such a personal experience for people that rather than own up to having made a mistake, lay it at the foot of the cross, repent, and experience God's mercy, all too often, people rationalize and justify the choice they've made and want to defend what they've done, say, oh, it's, it's not bad, it's okay, going against their nature. And therefore, if you become a pro-life spokesperson and say, no, that's not right, people take it personally. And then they react emotionally, and tensions raise, and people then begin to defend their loved ones, thinking, if you condemn abortion, you must condemn my mother, or you must condemn my sister, which isn't true. You can very much condemn a behavior without condemning the person who commits the behavior. You know, how many people have, have done texting and driving? And yet we know we shouldn't text and drive. And in fact, if one of our loved ones texted and while driving and then killed someone, we would condemn what they did, but we wouldn't condemn them. We would, in fact, have a lot of pity for them because we would know they would live the rest of their life carrying the, the burden of the consequence of the choice that they made as a result of texting and driving. So we wouldn't hate them, but we would have hate what they did. And that's an okay thing to do. And so same with abortion, we don't hate people who've had abortions, although those who've had abortions might feel that judgment because they're inflicting it on themselves. But we do hate the act of abortion, but we believe in a merciful God who will forgive us of the sins that we repent of. And so that's why we want to encourage people to repent of their sin, not justify it.
0: It's an interesting thing because now we're talking about things like sin Mm. and we're talking about redemption. Um, uh, Stephanie, I've said it in the past. I think that sin in our culture is probably as explosive as the abortion conversation that we're having. Right. I mean, the idea that I am a sinner and am in need of grace um, does strike us as harsh. Um, I, I think we can accuse people of a lot of things, but sinner better not be one of them. Do you come up with that? Yeah,
1: people don't, they don't like to be labeled that way. But what we need to realize is, if I label you a sinner, I'm also labeling myself a sinner. But we don't stay in that state. The good news is we have a Savior. And so we want to take people from just the reality of I'm a sinner to a Savior came to save me from that sin. But if I believe in a Savior, then that must mean I'm a sinner, that I have something I need to be saved from. So we want to lead people to the good news and not just stick with the bad news, but all too many, all too often people stay in the bad news.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the sin that we're here to talk Mm. about. So this is the sin of taking human life. Stephanie, can we rightfully say that every single fetus in the womb is indeed human life?
1: Absolutely. Even though some abortion supporters will object to that. They
0: will object? They
1: will. On what basis do they do Well, not a logical basis, more an emotional basis. Well, it's not human. They'll often just throw out in a conversation. So then I will simply ask, well, what do biology textbooks tell us? What do embryology textbooks tell us? And time and again, we see consistently throughout the medical and scientific literature that beings that reproduce sexually begin their lives at fertilization as well as like begets like. Beings reproduce after their own kind. So dogs will produce dogs, cats will produce cats, and humans will produce humans. So as long as the pregnant woman is human, as long as her partner is human, the only thing that the embryo or fetus in her body can be is another human. It's an immature human, it's a younger human, but nonetheless is of the same species as the parents. And because the parents reproduce sexually, that means that that individual began his or her life at the moment of fertilization, the moment of sperm egg fusion.
0: And he or she is alive.
1: Absolutely. And we know that that embryo is alive because we know scientifically that if something is growing, it's alive. And so that one celled embryo grows into two cells and four cells and eight. And through that growth, we can conclude the embryo's alive. Another way to think about it is we know that you do not have something living come from something that's non-living. So if everyone agrees that when a baby is born and begins to cry, that that baby is alive, then it follows the baby couldn't have been non-living in the preceding time prior to that birth. So if you're alive at birth, you're alive prior to birth.
0: So we have human life. I think that's undisputable. But we're saying more than that, and uh, Stephanie, I think you're saying more than that. You're saying that there is something unique about human life. So that if we were in some way involved in aborting puppies, Mm. we wouldn't think that was a huge moral issue, but we think that aborting human life is a moral issue. So I think we need to talk about what it means to be human. And is there... Something special about being human. So, do you begin your argument by saying, look, we're created in the image of God? That's the mm. uniqueness of being human.
1: Mm.
0: Is that where you begin your argument?
1: Usually I begin from a human rights perspective. I also would say it depends on who I'm talking to. I often speak the language of my audience. So if I'm speaking to a believer then I will make, you know, a scriptural case against abortion. If I'm speaking to a non-believer, I will begin from a human rights perspective, but that will eventually lead us to a faith-based argument. Because if I can say to someone who doesn't believe in God, "Hey, Is it wrong to kill a five-year-old walking down the street? And they say yes. Then all I have to do is prove that the pre-born child is as human as the five-year-old, is alive like the five-year-old, and just as they believe the five-year-old has an inalienable right to life and it would be wrong to kill the five-year-old, then it logically follows that the pre-born child who's human like the five-year-old has an inalienable right to life and it would be wrong to kill the pre-born child.
0: So if I can just interrupt you here, Stephanie, Mm -hmm. you are saying that's the, you know, if you you speak with a secularist, you'll be begin on a human rights perspective but i'm going to argue that in your own thinking in your own mind yes you're beginning with a different assumption
1: well i am beginning and that's where that would come out because then if the person i'm dialoguing with begins to say well actually you know i said it's wrong to kill a 5 year old why is it wrong to kill a five-year-old? Then my foundational principle will come out. Well, it's like, well, the five-year-old, like the preborn child, by virtue of being human, is made in God's image. We are set apart from all the other creation. And God's creation is still good. And we are stewards of that creation, and we ought to respect animals and, and the world itself. But we know that each day God created something. It was good until he created man and woman, male and female. And suddenly when he surveyed all of his creation, it was very good. And the scriptures very explicitly speak of making man in our image. And I was always struck by that language in my own personal reading of the scriptures. Like, well, if we have one God, mm-hmm. what is God referring to when sure. he says, make man in our image? But our is the Trinity, that we have one God, three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is that? That's a communion of persons. So when man and woman image God, we image who God is. So God is love, God is goodness, God is truth. But as a trinity... God is a communion of persons, which means there is something about humans in connection with other humans in a relationship of love and life that reflects God. And so we see that in the creation of life with man and woman coming together, you have a communion of persons that can bear life. But then we also have that with a pregnant woman, with the child in her body, attached to her body with the umbilical cord. We have yet another communion of persons, this this imaging of the Trinity, this, this beautiful relationship of giving and receiving love and that is what makes us so special.
0: I'm going to argue that every human being intuitively understands that. Mm-hmm. And the reason I make that argument is because if I shoot the neighbor's dog it's going to make the press but if I shoot the neighbor's daughter we're all going to understand that's a different matter entirely. Mm-hmm. So intuitively you and I or regardless of our faith commitment intuitively already understand that there is something unique about being human that endows in humanity this 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 worth that the bible calls the image of god
1: mm-hmm. absolutely and so we know that and of course we know because the, the truth is written on our hearts and so we know that people will instinctively sense that but sometimes it takes a conversation to flesh it out more where we then evangelize we speak of who god is and how he made us and why he came to save us from our sins.
0: Thanks, Steph. We'll be right back What if we never asked the question and simply chose to look the other way? Well, we're back, and I think there's so much more to talk about. Stephanie, thank you for, you know, a marvelous conversation. I want to now speak a little bit wider about, you know, to be pro-life must mean more than simply, you know, to protect the unborn child. It certainly means that. But here's what I've noticed. I'm an older guy, and when I was young— There were a lot of Down syndrome kids. I played with Down syndrome Mm. kids. I hardly see them anymore. Why is that?
1: Unfortunately, with the advancement of prenatal testing, uh, more and more people are finding out if their child has Down syndrome prior to the baby being born. And unfortunately, a majority of people who find that news out opt for abortion rather than carrying their pregnancy to term. And I've heard statistics averaging about 90%, that's nine zero, of of uh, prenatal diagnoses indicating the child has Down syndrome and in abortion. So we're seeing less and less individuals Around us with Down syndrome, not because, you know, less are being conceived or we found some type of cure for this genetic anomaly, but because these children are literally being dismembered, decapitated and disemboweled in the wombs of their mother because they're genetically different from you or me.
0: Well, let's follow that line of thinking. If it's less valuable to have a child who has Down syndrome, then we'd say then it's also less valuable to have a child who has any abnormality. Would that be true?
1: Well, and this is where the mindset of our society is going, where if you're less than perfect, then maybe we'll just have an abortion and start again and try to get a better child. So
0: if that's true of a child that is in the womb, it must then also logically be true of the child if it's born. It must be less valuable. He or she must be less valuable if— he or she is less than perfect.
1: Well, we're seeing that trend happening where unfortunately we have this movement in our society towards assisted suicide and euthanasia, which has a similar mentality to abortion, but involves applying that mentality to those who are born rather than those who are pre-born. But the idea is the same as we look at those with physical and genetic difference. The idea being, hmm, well, if you are too sick Or you're too disabled, then maybe your life is not worth living after birth, as well as before birth. And that's why in response to a a societal embracing of uh, assisted suicide and euthanasia, there are disability rights uh, organizations that are becoming vocal and saying, hey, we're equal to you, we have the same right to life as you, even if we uh, live with physical and genetic difference.
0: Well, this is very interesting because uh, to push this matter further, I mean, you know, end-of-life issues, if I'm suffering, suddenly the value of life decreases, at least it does within this way of thinking. So I'm going to ask you a question. The idea that we are in the image of God gives life, val- human life value at all places and stages regardless of what we might say Abnormalities, defects, all manner of things, it's still valuable because it's in the image of God. But if I don't have that as a, you know, as a baseline for my thinking, then I'm going to say that some life is less valuable. And if that's true, then perhaps the person who has a higher IQ is more valuable than the person who has a lesser IQ. The person who has higher skill sets is more valuable than the one who has less am I on the right track? In this? Well th-
1: that's where that thinking absolutely can lead because once life human life is not inherently valuable but only conditionally valuable well what conditions do you need to have in order to be valued you know is it that you need to be born is it that you need to be born and not have a physical and genetic defect is it that you need to be born and have a certain IQ or whatever the condition may be and so where do you draw the line how it about becomes born and arbitrary wanted. how about well, born- Born and wanted. I mean, this is another thing that we have where, where people will say we don't want unwanted children in the world. And if you look at those that phrase, unwanted children, the word unwanted is an adjective. It's a descriptive term. The word children is a noun, person, place, or thing. So unfortunately, our society thinks about the concept unwanted child or unwanted children and aims to remove the children by way of abortion or assisted suicide if we're dealing with, you know, a child who's maybe severely disabled. But instead, my my response is to say, let's remove the adjective and replace it with a better one. <laughs> you know, instead of, the un, instead of the child being removed, let's remove the unwantedness, which is really a reflection of my feelings. If I claim someone is unwanted, I'm actually describing my feelings towards them. I do not want them. So rather than eliminate them, I should eliminate my bad attitude. I should start to want them or I should place them an environment where they are wanted, where some family will welcome the child whose parents feel that they aren't capable of, of caring for. So so we need to focus on removing the adjective, not the noun.
0: Okay, that's that's very important to say because if we allow unwanted to remain, however— um, you know, we, we've seen that if in the case of the child in the womb, if that child is unwanted, we, we, our culture is saying mm-hmm. you ought to be able to remove that child. Mm-hmm. If you're at the other end of life, but how about in the middle? I mean, are we seeing uh, – Stephanie, I'm asking a question here and the question is, are we seeing evidence that the entire abortion phenomenon is leading us to devalue life at all levels?
1: Yeah. I think so, because in my work, and I've been working full-time in the pro-life movement for almost 20 years now, I see time and again the consistent theme is the breakdown of the family, the fracturing of relationships where we are not uh, imaging God the way we are supposed to and the way inherently we're designed to. So if God is a communion of persons, what is the family? It's a communion of persons. You've got this beautiful relationship, but we're fracturing that now. We have abortion separating mother and child. You have um, a breakdown of of marital relationships separating of the husband and wife. You have then children who are more attached to their technology, isolated in their bedrooms, then in the flesh, face to face around the dinner table with their parents. And as they grow older, you see increasing isolation within the family household where everyone's off on their own devices in their own rooms. So once again, it's breakdown of relationship instead of being the commune of of persons were supposed to be so that at the end of life, when grandma feels old and maybe feels unwanted because everyone else in her family is off in their own little world, they don't have the communion of persons, then grandma's going to feel unwanted. Grandma's going to feel like a burden. And she might think, well, maybe my life is not worth living. So, so the mentality that began with abortion will spread and permeate to other facets of society. Unless we get back to our origin, to our roots, that we are made in the image of God, the good, the true, the beautiful, love, and we are made to be a communion of persons.
0: Are we then saying that it is necessary to have a theistic worldview, a belief in a creator God, rather than a worldview of you know, accidental chance processes that brought us into being? Is it necessary— in order to retain value in human life to say God is necessary for human beings to be valuable.
1: Mm-hmm. I think so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that there are some people who without God can be led to a pro-life conclusion, but will that perspective last and is it stand intellectually the test defensible? of time? Right. Nice. Over time, if you dig deep enough, you're going to see holes in that argument. So at the end of the day, If God created us, then we are creatures, not creators, and we have to be in submission to him under the mission of him and trust that his way of orchestrating things is actually for our good. And that when we depart from that, it doesn't lead to human flourishing, it leads to human decline. Um, So yes, I think at the core of the pro-life worldview is a Christian worldview, a theistic worldview that there is a God who loved us into existence. And that while there are people without a belief in God can be convinced at a natural law level. That humans are equal, that we ought to value each other, that the test of time in the history of the world has taught us when we devalue humans, you know, societal breakdown happens. Uh, Without God, people can come to those conclusions. But over time, if you dig deep enough, those natural law principles they hold, if you dig deep enough, will lead to a supernatural worldview, a belief in a, a, a God.
0: So are we right in saying that when we secularize a culture, and here I mean mm-hmm. perhaps adopt a you know, a philosophy of naturalism, that nature is all that exists and there's nothing beyond it and everything is, can be explained by reference to nature. When we do that, mm-hmm. ultimately we cheapen human life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now if that's the case, we're not only arguing now for let's end this plague of abortion, we're arguing for more. Mm -hmm. We're arguing, let's make the gospel of Jesus Christ known as widely as possible because only in the gospel does human life have dignity.
1: Absolutely. And if we think about uh, the gospel message as it relates to the pro-life message— we know from the scriptures, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever might believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So Christ came not for dogs, not for cats, not for fish. Of all creation, Christ came for humans. So humans are so valuable to God that they're worth suffering and dying for. So if that's how valuable humans are to God, then how valuable are my fellow humans to me? So at the core of the pro-life message is saying, whoa, if God values human life that much, I need to value human life that much. But what about when I haven't? Well, the good news, the story of the gospel is, God is merciful and he sent his son to forgive me of my sins.
0: Stephanie, it's been wonderful to have this conversation. Thank you. What if we never asked the question and simply chose to look the other way? Some of us might be surprised to hear that without the Christian faith, human life loses its meaning and it loses its value. I think we've been told that if you simply base uh, our thinking on the premise that uh, every single human being has innate rights, that that should be enough. Uh, but given enough time, the, the very basis for human rights become eroded. Uh, cultures become increasingly cruel and violent towards each other when the basis of human dignity and human value are missing. And, and that's why I thought it's so necessary to talk not only about abortion, but what it means to be made in the image of God. Take away the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you've taken away the value of human life. And that's why we must always fight against the scourge of abortion. Well, you can find us on our YouTube channel. Said back to the Bible, Canada. Thank you for joining us. Please join us again next week here on Truth and Life today. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, and please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more interviews, episodes, and Bible teaching content. Uh, Thanks for joining us today.